0: Hi there. Welcome back to Health Bite, the podcast created to provide you with small actionable bites to support you in your path towards better physical, mental, and emotional well-being. I'm your host Dr. Adrian, and I am happy as always to be with you here this week. So, we are in the midst of the holiday season, and in my clinical practice in Beverly Hills, my patients, those who are coming that is, as you can imagine, As a weight loss doctor, I am not very popular these days between Thanksgiving, Christmas and the new year. But for those who are coming in to see me, they have lots of questions about navigating food during the holidays. And really this is not just a practical question, but really a spiritual question. Food as we know it is inseparable from our traditions and rituals, particularly around the holidays. It is also inseparable from family and community, especially this time of year. So the question is, how do we reconcile that? How do we balance the sanctity of the occasion and of the holiday with the sanctity of our bodies and our well-being? So I like to start by kind of looking at the history of this. Because food is inseparable from our traditional and religious holidays. Thanksgiving, Christmas, the Passover Seder, Easter brunch, Shabbat dinner are some of the many examples out there. Even ritualistic times like the Super Bowl, right? So traditions can consist of rituals that are like religion, but aren't religion. And so it has been that way since the earliest civilizations. Ancient religions used food as an offering to the gods, and myths and legends kind of imbued food with fantastical and magical qualities. For example, the Greek gods, and I was a classics major in college, so love all the Greek and Roman gods, but the Greek gods believed that ambrosia was a nectar of immortality, and so drinking It would make them immortal. The Chinese believed that dumplings could bring them wealth and prosperity. And in my tradition, the Persian tradition, pomegranates were believed to grant us fertility. So there's an ancient history of tying food and mysticism, as it were. But religious traditions also guide us on what to eat and how to eat. And we don't have to be religious at all to benefit from this guidance. For example, there's a story of Jacob and Esau from the book of Genesis. And it is said that after working a long day plowing the fields, that Esau comes home starving, finding that his brother Jacob cooking a lentil stew. And I just have to say that I love lentils, by the way. There is a super quick recipe that I want to share with you because it is an excellent source of protein and it just comes to mind. So all you need is five ingredients, lentils, and I actually like to add split peas too, one onion diced; several cloves of garlic, salt, pepper, and if you want cumin but that's not necessary. So really easy, rinse one cup of lentils and one cup of split pea, add them to a pot, Fill the pot with water to cover the beans or the legumes rather and leave an extra inch of water above them. Then add in your seasonings, salt, pepper, onions, garlic, cumin if you wish. Bring the pot to a boil, reduce to a simmer and let it simmer about 30 minutes-ish. Just watch out that the water doesn't run out. You may need to add some extra water during the cooking process and that's it. So one cup of lentils gives you 16 grams of fiber, 18 grams of protein, all for a little over 200 calories. So I digress a little bit, but quick, easy, healthy recipe for lentil stew. Okay, so Esau returns from the field, and he's starving, and in his hunger, he impulsively trades in his birthright as the firstborn son and his his inheritance in exchange for a bowl of soup, and here's the lesson. The scholars say that this is a cautionary tale, that we must use restraint over food, even in our hunger. They go on to say that we must use restraint and distinguish eating in response to hunger from eating out of desire as being impulsive like this story or fable describes has consequences. We must also distinguish between needing and craving, between eating for sustenance and eating for entertainment. And this is important eating for entertainment, right? How often do we do that? How often do we eat just to eat? And so in doing so, this tale encourages us to engage in a mindful eating practice and to honor our hunger. And if you think about it, actually, there is also a pleasure in acknowledging and satisfying true hunger. When we skip meals or ignore our hunger, it leads to a dysregulated response. Actually, it leads to a dysregulated or a dysregulation of our hunger hormones and to those purposeful physiologic cues to eat. Allowing ourselves to get overly hungry also makes it more difficult for us to feel full and invariably results in eating excessively. Similarly, when we eat past our hunger, we don't listen to that hunger cue when it shuts off, we feel overly full and uncomfortable. And when we're eating out of temptation rather than hunger, we may find that we don't, again, have that expected enjoyment of the food. While when we eat to satisfy true hunger, we experience a certain pleasure out of our food, we don't get that same pleasure when we act on autopilot. And sometimes patients will tell me that they are on such autopilot with their eating that they are not sure that they ever really experience physiologic hunger or know what it really feels like. But it is valuable to feel our hunger and to use it as a guide, both when to start eating and when to stop. So how about prayer? There are many religious traditions that offer a prayer before and after a meal. And of course, this is a practice of gratitude, which has its own benefits. You can actually check out one of my previous podcasts on the benefits of having a gratitude practice. But think about what happens when we pray before a meal. We're essentially creating a pause, keeping ourselves from jumping into the meal and devouring, but pausing, evoking attention, presence, mindfulness, and thereby also priming ourselves to slow down and to savor the meal. So prayer in this way, whether you know it is just a gratitude practice or it's a religious practice, evokes a sense of mindfulness, presence, savoring, and therefore enjoyment for our meal. Similarly, saying a prayer at the end of a meal, as is the case with certain traditions, helps mark the end of the meal and is a way to create closure, uh, marking mealtime as an occasion that has a beginning and an end and making it a sacred occasion, mealtime. It's something important that needs to be set out as a separate, um, as its own entity. It also perhaps prevents us from unnecessary seconds or that steady picking and munching that happens when we're sitting in front of a table of food. So think about it and consider implementing your own gratitude practice or prayer before and after a meal. There are also laws and traditions that encourage sitting down to a meal. They are found in religious texts and they're also found in other traditions. For example, It is still customary and even law in present-day Japan to sit while you eat. So much so that walking and eating in certain provinces is considered illegal and unlawful. On a trip actually to Japan several years ago with my family, we were standing in line for boba actually for my kids. And my husband was munching on a bag of seaweed snacks. And just as we were noticing and actually commenting on the fact that we were the only people eating in the streets, my husband accidentally dropped the bag of seaweed, spilling it all over the street. Needless to say, I was mortified. But what I find interesting is how these traditions and religious practices around food are also health practices that are validated in the medical literature. Studies have shown actually that sitting down at a table and eating as a family is associated with reduced obesity and healthier weights, both in the parents and in the children. And in terms of mealtime, they found that meal duration is important too. Children who engage with their families in a meal, lasting 20 minutes or longer, four times a week, were found to weigh significantly less than kids who leave the table earlier than 20 minutes. And finally, Studies, not surprisingly, have shown that technology at mealtime also associated with obesity, associated with greater food consumption, with a higher calorie intake, and excess weight in the children. So again, for me, this parallels the sanctity of mealtime, marking it as a special time that should not be mixed up with screens, should not be mixed up with work, and how many of us eat at our desks while working on the computer. Our traditions really are in line with health practices, and once again shows us that the intersection between religious law, cultural traditions, and science is a testament to the importance of these simple practices as a guide to better health and well being. Another point is that when we don't sit to eat, we don't process that we're eating. In fact, and I think I've mentioned this several times before on the podcast and in my newsletters, that studies show when asked, people underreport their calorie intake by up to 2000 calories per day, which sounds incredible, right? That's a heck of a lot of calories. And this is not because people withhold information intentionally, but because they're not even aware of the fact or aware of what they have in fact eaten. So think about it. We often start nibbling while we're looking for something to eat. So you're looking in the pantry or looking in the fridge And you're already nibbling on something while you're looking for something to eat, or while we're preparing a meal, or we clear off our children's plate at the end of the meal. Sometimes we do this at the sink, when we feel like we don't want to scrap the food and waste it, so we waste ourselves instead or when we grab a handful of nuts or candy when passing by our kitchen counter or passing by someone's desk at work. These are all examples of mindless eating. And so the religious and traditional practices of sitting to a meal is really a mindful practice and a health practice. So let's get back to the tradition of our traditional holiday meals, our traditional Thanksgiving meal or Christmas meal. People will rightfully say to me, holiday meals are about tradition. They're about eating with family and friends, about creating community. And that thinking about, quote, healthy eating interferes with the enjoyment or the joy of that tradition. So the question is, how do we reconcile the importance of tradition with the importance of well being? And we can. We do so by implementing a personal tradition of mindfulness, pause, and attention to our food. We can achieve a sense of fulfillment of the ritual without neglecting our own self-care. And actually, in doing that, quite frankly, we'll get more enjoyment out of the meal and out of the food for all the reasons we've already described. When we think about food in this way, we can bring into balance the sanctity of the occasion, with the sanctity of our body, and with the sanctity of the meal and the food itself. We can honor our traditions while also honoring our desire to be well. So it's not so much about abstinence or not partaking in the meal, but about bringing attention and a mindful response to our hunger and even to our indulgence. We can choose to enjoy even our indulgences mindfully and in that way make the meal and the experience truly matter. So with that, I am wishing you a festive and celebratory holiday season filled with mindfulness, presence, And savoring of good food and time with our friends and family and a happy holidays to all of you, however you choose to celebrate. If you've enjoyed this session of the podcast, you can read more as the content for the podcast came out of excerpts from my book, Hungry for More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. You can find it on my website. You can find it also on Amazon. You can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Adrian Udeem and at my website, dradrianudim.com, where there is a ton of educational and inspiring content, including an opportunity to download an actionable guide to health and wellness. I offer you five pillars of health and well-being with some quick tips, food guides, recipes, writing prompts, and lots of other great stuff, again, that you can download for free. And finally, I would love to share Dell Bar, which is a high-protein, low-calorie nutrition bar I have created from functional ingredients for the purpose of weight loss, weight maintenance and better health and well-being. You can find all the details at dellnutrition.com. So be well this week, podcasters, and please join me next week for another segment of Health Bite, offering short, actionable bites for your health and well-being. Until next time.